Hi, this is Kara Kading, and as part of the Milliger family, I'd love to introduce you to our new podcast. Everything we do here at Milliger's is done to enhance the lifestyle of our customers. Our products and services add beauty and enjoyment and just make life a little more rewarding. We are first and foremost growers, and one of the things we do best is to open a world of beauty to people through plants. And plants enrich our lives in so many ways, from cleaning our air to making everyone feel better. And everything else that we do or sell gradually evolved from our wanting people to feel better and enjoy life. Hey, Milliger fans, it's Kara Kading, and our podcast continues. You're in for such a treat today. I have Mr. T with me. And if you don't know who Mr. T is, it's Kevin Milliger. People call him that because he is definitely the tomato expert. And really, it's expanded into all of our vegetables and herbs. So in case you guys didn't know, Kevin Milliger is my uncle. Of course, we're part of the Milliger family. You've been here since... <laughs> The very beginning. But we were talking about grandma and grandpa and how they really actually started growing before we got our greenhouse here back in 1960 and started growing on this property that we're now recording this right here at Milliger's. But they really had a passion for growing right at their own home. Yeah, we, we had a huge garden and we lived on two lots and the second lot uh, was vacant and that was the garden and it was about an acre. I'm really too young to remember. I wasn't really working in it. I was just hanging around at that. Uh, Living the good life. Itch, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but I was out there picking and eating raspberries and strawberries in particular. And, and they grew something of everything out there, but it was a big deal. But they didn't really have any money at that time. So uh, when they wanted to start the business, they sold off that piece of property so someone could build a house on it. And they used that money to start the business. Uh, so that was how that got started. That's so there's no more garden after that and no time either because they were too busy working. They were here. <laughs> they were doing their own growing here. So, yes. And the rest is history. We're getting ready here. It's 2022. And right in front of us, Kevin, we've got the awesome greens to grow. We've got the vintage veggies. We've got all the different vegetables that we're going to be growing this year. I can't believe how big this list is. Yeah, it gets bigger every year. And we have a lot of categories and it's always changing because we're looking for new things and everyone wants to grow something new every year. And so we're happy to be experimenting and bringing the best of everything to them. Yeah, things have really expanded, of course, in tomatoes and peppers, but it's always exciting to see little guys on there too, like the cucumbers and are there any other growing, literally growing categories? Well, let's see. Tomatoes and peppers are the two biggest, of course. Following that, we have squash, cucumbers. Those are probably the four biggest by far. Okay. Well, the first thing, now people are planning. We got our seminar schedule out. That's so great to see as people want to prepare. Today is a snowy day, but for me, that's always a great time to start looking over the list, making plans for the garden of what we should be growing. And the first thing up on the list, April 1st, is greens to grow. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. A lot of people, by the end of winter, were craving vegetables or were craving greenery and start tomatoes and peppers anywhere near that time, at least in our climate. So the thing that you can start is many greens. And that would be mainly lettuces, but also things like collards, kale, spinach, and a few others. There are many categories that can grow. So we've got maybe 20 or 30 kinds, quite a few kinds of greens that you can put in on April 1st. When you say put in, what does that mean? Because we're here in Wisconsin, the ground to me seems so cold April 1st. 
can we actually put these in our garden? Well, what I usually do is sometime in March, when there's several nice days in a row, which sometimes does happen, is that when the soil dries out, we go in and rototill the garden and prepare it so that it's ready for April 1st. And that is usually not that hard to do. So you don't want to do it when it's real wet because then you'll get a bunch of clods of soil. And that's very awkward to work with later. So when the soil is dried out, do the rototilling and do the raking and get it ready. Okay, so we can definitely put it in the ground. I know Elsa came up with those great names for the other options that we have for people in the Greens to Grow program called edibles. And that is really just a mix of different greens. When you mix these greens, like I'm looking at this Greens to Grow program, I mean, gosh, there's arugula, Swiss chard, and there's five different kinds of kale on here. Of course, so many different types of lettuces, even spinach, romaine lettuce, mustards. When you're putting together what we call an edible, can you put together everything or does it matter? Do some grow faster than others? Anything like that? Well, it does take a little bit of thought, but there's pretty much no bad combination. You can put whatever you want wherever you want. I think that most of those things you'll be harvesting right along. So they won't get too huge because you're going to be picking the leaves and eating them. So I don't think you have to worry too much about that. But probably the biggest thing in that list is the mustards. Those are some of my favorites, by the way, because they have just a little bit of tang and you can just add some zest to your salad by just putting in a a leaf or two or chop it up and mix it in your salad and you'll get some surprising flavors. And they're not hot they, they do have... It's a yeah, I always think of those mustards being kind of spicy. It's a different kind of heat, though. They have some heat, so you bite into it and you can, you can taste something unusual. But it dissipates very quickly, so it doesn't stay in your mouth like a hot pepper does. And so it's gone very quickly, and then all of a sudden you realize, hmm, that was an interesting flavor. And if you didn't know it was in the salad, you'd be wondering and asking your host what they put in the salad because it's so interesting and so flavorful. Are there any tips for, you know, I can see there's so many different types of lettuce options here. Are there some that offer like a more nutritional value than others when you're picking these out? What's your best recommendation? Uh, Nutritional value is something that we key in on quite a bit. The most nutritious lettuces are the leaf lettuce. And within the leaf lettuce category, The red-leaved or purple-leaved ones are the highest nutritional value. So if that's what you're after, those are the ones you want to be choosing from. And there are quite a few of them. There's probably at least 10 of them that we're growing. Yeah, this is amazing. And I always think it's fun to, it just makes it a salad pretty when you mix up the different colors. I know some of these have like little flecking and kind of like little freckles on them. Those look so great in a salad. Yes, and they all grow at different rates. So that's why it's good to plant several different kinds in your row of lettuce or your edible because then you'll always have something to pick because some grow fast some grow slow and so that way you'll you'll be assured of having plenty to eat then how do you know when it's the right time to harvest your lettuce pick them when they're little or what's the key sign there are different ways of doing it a lot of times in the store when you think of lettuce especially old lettuce years ago Pretty much they were all in heads. And so people, you'd wait until the head got big and pick it, and then it was sat in your refrigerator till you used it up. But with leaf lettuce, you can just pick the outer leaves. So I just go in after the thing has been in the ground for maybe just even three weeks. You can start picking the outer leaves off each plant and then using those in your salad. Then the next time you come to pick, the next layer will be ready. All right, so we just keep focusing on picking those outer leaves, and it will just keep... So this is a whole cut and come again concept, which is really exciting. Yeah, the good thing about that is that since you're picking regularly, the plants don't get huge. So that means you can put them closer together and get 
more production out of per square foot. Oh, nice. Yeah. Get a lot more in a smaller space. How long will the greens to grow if you've planted the lettuce in your um, garden or if you have one of these edibles? How long do you think it will last? Like how long do you think we can keep harvesting from this? Well, the edibles are a little less time that they are functional because the heat in our environment gets around the base of the bowl and, and warms it up a lot faster than plants that are actually planted in the ground. So I would say that they're generally good to around mid-June or so. That's when it starts to get too warm and the, the roots get heated up and the, and the plants don't really perform as well. They don't taste as good then. Okay. Uh, they're not going to hurt you. But they just, yeah. You'll just realize that they're getting bitter. But uh, to get three months worth out of your lettuce harvest out of that, I think is incredible. It is. It is. Now, one thing about planting, we talked about the date of April 1st. Usually when April 1st rolls around, I mean, it could be snowing that day or it could be uh, raining or in, the, or in a cold <laughs> yeah. snap. So I usually wait. I th- that's my very first day that I plant. But if on that day the forecast is not favorable, then I don't plant. So I wait maybe several days until forecast where it's somewhat more mild, then I go ahead and plant. Then the plants can get established for several days before the next uh, cool spell. Right. And they don't go into complete shock. And I don't know about you, but, and I have actually planted in the snow (laughs) on May 31st and it's not my favorite. So given the choice, I'd rather be out there on a sunny day instead of a snowy day. Yeah. Now those are the greens that can be planted on or around April 1st. But in addition to that, there are other plants and seeds that can be done early as, as early as that. So that we're talking things like onions and radishes uh, are the two big categories. Bigger, fleshier seeds like beans and peas you'd have to wait at least several weeks for because those can rot in the ground. They're much more in need of warmer temperatures than, than the onions and radish. What about things like broccoli, cauliflower? Well, those are in our Greens to Grow program, at least the broccoli is, at least some years we've had it there, but that can also be planted at that time, anything in that cabbage family. Okay, nice. Moving on, as we transition into May, I can hardly wait for spring. These plant lists are so exciting. Now, I'm not sure how many years, maybe you'll remember, for our category called Vintage Veggies when this debuts. And this is like a two-week program, but they debut, I think, on May 12th this year. What exactly is Vintage Veggies when those tables come out with all those different varieties? Yeah, we've been doing that for about 10 years. And the impetus for the beginning of that project was that people would come in and say, what's new or what's, what's interesting or what's going on? And, and we're always interested, like our customers are, in trying new plants. So before we offer them to the public, we like to make sure that they are a good plant. You read a lot of these seed catalogs, you think something is really great and you grow it sometimes disappointed. So naturally, we try to guard against that. We grow a limited number of these plants, usually between 100 and 150 of each one of them. Then we offer the excess to our customers in the vintage veggie program. Some of them are heirloom plants. When we first started the program, it was all heirloom plants. But there's so much hybridizing going on right now that some of the plants are newer hybrids. And sometimes it's a hybrid with both of the parents being heirloom plants. So it's a new plant, but it's heirloom parents. Heirloom parents. Yeah, and there's. I think this is vintage veggies, I also have noticed, is where some of the really funky vegetables are. So like the lemon cucumber. What's this Mexican sour cucumber? These are just things I've... I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, that's not a true cucumber, but it's... Oh, that's cucumber where, that's, melon, it says. That's, that's what it's called. It's a tiny thing. It's smaller than an egg, and it's striped like a watermelon. And it's just got an unusual tangy flavor. 
Okay, really fun. This would be quite a large bush, actually. Then in pepper category is that Scotch bonnet, that hot hot pepper. What do you think about that one? Yeah, that's quite hot. It's not as hot as things like the California Reaper, the world's hottest pepper. And but that's still the world's hottest. I can't believe it. It's been, I don't know how many years, but man... It's raining, raining top, huh? It is, yeah. The Scotch bonnet is a Caribbean pepper, and it gives the unique flavor that many Caribbean foods have is because of the added Scotch bonnet pepper. It's not just hot. It's also got a unique flavor, and it's one of those things you almost have to taste to uh, understand or appreciate. But that's what uh, a lot of our customers use it for is to uh, achieve that flavor. Then when you are talking about peppers, I was overlooking this and I went through the list. We have 58 different kinds of peppers and there's different categories of peppers. How do you know what to pick or what should you be looking for when you're picking out picking out your peppers? <laughs> right. The sweet peppers, to me, taste kind of alike. So whether it's a bell or a, a, a bull's horn pepper or even a sweet banana, those are all relatively the same as far as I'm concerned. Maybe not to somebody else. They might have a different take on that, but... They're all sweet and they're all mild. They can all be picked green, but their their highest nutritional value is when you allow them to reach their final color. So that's usually two to three weeks after they are full size and green, then two or three more weeks and they will be at their mature color. And that's when they're at their peak for nutritional value. So that's one category, the sweet peppers. One of, one of our fastest growing categories in that group, by the way, is the mini bells. These are the so-called lunchbox oh, I love uh, bell those. peppers. They're, they're bite-sized and they're sweet and uh, they're, they're kind of cute they're, and they're all colors. So that's a growing category. Those are the sweet peppers. Then there's the hot peppers, like we talked about, maybe a habanero or jalapeno at the very low end of heat. And habanero was quite a ways up there. And then the very hottest would be the California Reaper. And there's I don't know how many, quite a few hot peppers that we're growing, but there's a, a big range of flavor as well as size and heat. And then did you talk about savory? That's the last category. That's something we sort of invented ourselves <laughs> because there's these peppers that have very, very low heat or sometimes no heat, but still they're not sweet. So they're in this sort of gray area in between those two mild and, and the hot peppers. They, they fit in either category. So we created this new category called savory. And they can be eaten also when they're green or when they're fully ripe. And they all have their own unique flavor. So there's probably eight or 10 of those that we're growing. And we're always, again, experimenting with new ones. So that's just something fun to, uh, just something fun to try out. Savory is probably about as hot of a pepper that I can handle. <laughs> Anything hotter than that, my eyebrows start sweating. That shishito pepper, I just remember so many people asking for that. What kind of pepper is that considered to be? I would call it a savory pepper. The heat rating system is called the Scoville heat rating system, invented by a man of that name. And that plant has around the heat rating of 500. Now, a jalapeno pepper is two to 5,000 usually. A habanero is about a quarter million Caroline Reaper is about 2 million. So wow. you can see that Shishito is very, very low. And he might even say no heat in some <laughs> years. So it's very, very low. But it, again, it has an interesting flavor. It's a long tapered pepper, usually eaten green, but it could be eaten later when it changes color as well. Now, is there anything in our summer that can affect that Scoville rating? I know you just mentioned something about how the heat can vary maybe on a pepper. The heat can vary, and the hotter the summer is, 
the hotter the pepper will be. So if it's a, a hot pepper, when we have a real hot year, that would be the year that it's going to be the hottest. And that's more reliable in southern and western climates because they have more hot weather than we do. So around here, those even the same pepper will not get as hot. My brother Eric lives in Dallas, Texas. If he was growing the same pepper there and we harvest our peppers, you know, same time. I'm in Wisconsin, he's in Texas. Is his pepper going to be hotter than mine? It is. It is. And I think that if you went to a farmer's market... At either place, uh, you'd find the same thing to be true there. Notice the difference. So, uh, All right, good to know. And then, oh my goodness, moving on to tomatoes. This is where you really shine, Mr. T. And I counted 90 tomatoes um, in our vintage veggies and then in our you know full production there. And 90 can be kind of overwhelming. So when people go into tomato land at Milliger's, it's a big aisle on both sides full of tomatoes. Do you have good recommendations of where to start, or I know we have great information education on our signs of what's popular or what people have liked in the past, but I know you're always over there when people come to you and they're like, Kevin, what should I grow? What should I be doing? What are your best recommendations? I do get that question almost every hour when I'm out there, maybe even several times an hour. Of course, I, my favorites sometimes change from year to year too. But I, of course, my main thing is to make sure the customer has success. And, and that's not just flavor of the tomato, but it's also production and disease resistance. Those are some key things that make the whole experience satisfactory. So I want to make sure those things are met. Previous years, like last year, my favorite standard tomato was Chef's Choice Pink. That's a newer hybrid, and it's very, very flavorful. And these new ones, they're all disease-resistant. That doesn't mean disease-proof, by the way, but it's harder for them to contract disease than a lot of the older varieties. That's my favorite of the large red sort of beefsteak-type tomatoes. That one is sort of pinkish, by the way. So this, this uh, the Chef's Choice you're going to be using for BLT sandwiches, or I love in the summer just to slice up my tomato and make a little caprese salad or uh, throw some cottage cheese on there, just something fresh. Is that what you recommend? Yes, yes. Uh, there are other good ones, but that's just my personal favorite. It's been around for maybe five or six years now, and it uh, still is a favorite. Now, one of my other favorites, I always like to grow something that's unusual looking so that when you put it on your plate and show it to your guests, they say, wow, what is that? It never fails. My favorite is one called, well, the, the, the true name is Ananas Noir, but that means that translates to uh, black pineapple. And oh, I can say a, black pineapple a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a large beefsteak type tomato that is green on the outside or greenish, mostly green. And then the inside, it's also green, but there's a large sunburst of red in the center. So it's got this red sort of bursting in different ways and, and looking very, very interesting, and it's fantastic tasting, fantastic production uh, in terms of volume and disease-resistant. So that, that is a, a newer hybrid with heirloom parents. That, it, that sounds like a win-win for everybody, all the good things. It's been around for about 10 years or so. Okay. And another category is the cherry and grape tomatoes, and of course, that is one of our biggest categories. Oh yeah, it's so fun. Anybody could, but especially kids, it's so cute to see them walking out into the garden and you can just harvest and just eat those cherry tomatoes right out there in the garden. Yeah, sun gold and sun sugar are the two that turn sort of a yellowish orange color. And those are probably the two biggest sellers because they're the sweetest. 
Cherry tomatoes in general are much sweeter than regular tomatoes, but in the cherry tomato category, the yellow and gold ones are the sweetest ones. They're very, very popular. People talk about a yellow pear tomato compared to these. Does it matter on the shape of the tomato itself as far as the fruit or how it behaves? Well, it does. I don't think it's because of the shape. It just happens to be that they do have different flavors. To me, the yellow pear, we get a lot of requests for it. To me, it's inferior to sun gold and sun sugar in flavor. But again, a lot of people come in and they've been growing it for years and they love it. We have something for everyone. Sometimes they just come in because, like you said, they've been growing it for years and they don't know any other option. But if you're out there, I'm sure you can help to make sure they get some good flavorful ones. Yeah, well, we want to make sure they get what they want. People ask for guidance and I'm happy to give it. What about that fun category of novelty? So-called black tomatoes, which most of those originated in Russia and the Ukraine. And they have what's usually described as a smoky flavor. And it, it is a sort of a richer flavor. And you have to, you know, a lot of times we put salt and pepper and other things on the tomatoes. That affects our perception of them. So you almost have to eat them by themselves before you determine whether you like it or not. But anyway, the black tomatoes have more of a savory flavor, I would say. So it's something you have to experiment with. The main thing is in evaluating the flavor of any tomato is to be picking it at the proper time. If you were cooking something in the kitchen and you tasted a cake or something before it was completely <laughs> done baking, or maybe when it was burned, if it wasn't left in too long, it totally ruins the flavor. Oh, yeah. It's got to be tested at the right time. And the same thing is true with tomatoes. If you eat it when it's too green or overripe, that's going to affect the flavor. So this can only be done with experimentation. But you know, if it's too hard, you know that it's not quite ripe yet. So let it get a little give on it. And then, of course, not mushy either. So it's you, you'll figure a that nice out. A nice little squish. Yeah. yeah. How about this relatively new category? This is the second year for it. But the whole mini-series that we've come out with, or are those called compact? Or I know you mentioned that they doesn't mean that the fruit necessarily is mini, but this is a great category for people who want to grow right on their patio, or maybe they're living in a condo. They get more options than just a tomato now, right? Yes, there's quite a few different things. We have a, a bean, a type of a bush bean, a cucumber, eggplant, lettuce, melon, peas, peppers, squash, and tomato in that mini veggie category. That'll also be available the second week of that May. That comes out with vintage veggies. Yeah, and that's also a nice way to get kids interested in gardening because you can get a, a good-sized pot, let's say a 16-inch pot or so, and then plant a variety of these in there. That can be their own little garden that they can tend. It's not overwhelming like in, a, in the regular garden. You don't have to get muddy. You can do it on the patio and it's not going to get crazy. It's, it's a lot of fun. That Vintage Veggie Fest is May 12th through the 22nd. And what's great is that one of our workshops, the Cook's Garden Workshop, is Thursday, May 12th, 630, here at the Racine Store. This is where we're going to be. I mean, you can put anything in there you want, but we'll be really highlighting those ones for containers because people are going to be planting in a container for this workshop. But you're also going to be giving some education on these specific varieties, I see. Yeah, uh, once again, the peppers and tomatoes are the biggest, most asked for kinds of plants. So those are the ones we're focusing on, but it's good to have a variety of things in there. There's also like a mini lettuce so that you can harvest that for a long, long time. When you're growing in the containers, like with these mini series, is there any other recommendations to make sure that people have success with growing their vegetables in a container versus in the ground? Well, keep in mind that most of these 
things that are grown in containers are using an artificial soil. And it's, it's all organic, but it's, it's not like Mother Earth. It doesn't have the nutrients built in, so you've got to fertilize more. So I would say stay on top of the fertility probably a couple times a week with a liquid fertilizer to maintain that level. Watering consistency can be another issue with containers because I know in the heat of summer or windy days, your containers can dry out faster. Any good tips there? Yeah, especially if it's in like a terracotta clay container, water can leach out of and and evaporate from the sides as well as the top. So plastic is really better if you're going to be gone for any length of time. And another thing I think you can do is that if you're going away for a few days and you can put a saucer underneath it and you can also move it into the shade where it will not dry out as quickly. Right, it gets some relief. It's a, they want to be in the sun, but they can be in the shade for a couple of days to maintain that moisture level. Thank you, Kevin, for such great education. I know the vegetables are really your passion, and it's always so great to get to speak with you out in the Expo Greenhouse where the vegetables are because you can always do such a great job of guiding people into making the best decision for what they're looking for. Well, it's a lot of fun to help people achieve their goals. Gardening is a lifelong hobby. Even if you have a failure or two, there's always next year or the next crop. So there's always something new to try and have fun with. Can always begin again. All right, guys, Kevin Milliger does a great job also of blogs. When do you think your blogs will continue with your vegetable education? Working on one right now. I don't put them out regularly, but every spring and early summer, I usually put out uh, maybe eight of them or so during that period. It's usually every couple of weeks or so. And I try to deal with current questions that I've been getting or uh, new plants or whatever whatever comes to mind, whatever book I'm reading that stimulates me in some way, something like that. So I never really know quite what the topic is until I sit down and start getting it together. Going through it. Okay, guys, if you have any questions, you can send them to Kevin Milliger. It's just kevin at milligers.com. He'll, of course, answer your question, but then maybe it'll get addressed in a blog. Absolutely. I'm happy to do that. Some people have come up to me and said, oh, I can't believe you talked about my question in your (laughs) blog, or I can't believe that my comment stimulated you to do this or that so yeah keep the questions coming because it's it's makes it fun to talk about and uh, make sure that people's questions get answered so okay thank you guys so much for tuning in we will be educating all about everything that we do here at milligers through this podcast and you can check out all of our information all of the events the vintage veggies list greens to grow all of those things are on our website at milligers.com we hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast Be sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on all the latest information and happenings here at Milligers. You can find out more details about our events on our website at milligers.com. We would love to hear from you. Send us your suggested topics and questions to me at gardengirl at milligers.com. Thanks again for listening and just keep growing.